people, casual people that are looking for sports find it really hard to access. They just turn off. Welcome to another edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show, where we talk about the business of sports, media, business, all different kinds of things. I'm Joe Favorito, along with my co-host, Tom Richardson. Tom, welcome back. Hi, Joe. How are you? Good. We're uh, in class. For those who are listening, we're recording this at the end of the first or the second week of September on September 11th. Um, Tom and I have both started classes. I am... What am I? I'm uh, high flex. Tom high is no flex. Tom is in yeah, flex. I'm, I'm no flex. I'm very inflexible. Yeah, mine, I'm on, online only for the semester. Um, but it's been, um, you know, as we're doing this again, um, NFL has just started. We've had the first of, I think, seven sports equinoxes happen this week that will happen in September, adding on the WNBA, the PGA Tour, and um, uh, MLS this time for the first time. So it's... Uh, it's quite a month. There's a lot of interest in sports, obviously, uh, with everybody being back, including both MLS and the NWSL. Um, and, and Premier League. And Premier, Premier League, League starts this weekend, correct? So, and some of the others, La Liga, yeah. et cetera. So um, we're going to talk a little bit of uh, a trip down Alumni Road, um, talk a little bit of maybe touch on a little bit of Ivy League soccer, but also the media business tied to soccer and especially women's sports because we've got a special guest who actually took Tom's class when she was in our program. Right. I did. <laughs> it was great. So uh, Esmeralda Negron, co-founder, general manager of Atalanta Media, welcome to the Cusp Show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Really so good Ed, tell it. us a little bit about how you built the business. What, and first of all, go through what the business is doing, especially your most recent news. And then how did you get to where you are right now? It's a pretty interesting story. Yeah, so um, yeah, so we just launched Aslanta Media last, last week. Um, it seems like a little while ago because it's been a whirlwind of the last week. Um, but we also launched our consumer-facing brand, which is Asa Football as well. Um, we're incredibly excited. So basically the mission of the company is to bring visibility and access to women's soccer, global women's soccer, the most elite, uh, make it easy for um, fans to access it, for fandom to grow in the women's game. And I think my co-founder and I have identified this as really the, the biggest problem and just a basic um, kind of challenge that needs to be solved. Um, you know, you can't, you can't grow a business without there being an audience and fans. Um, and without access and visibility to these games, you know, no one even knows who these players are. And I think that's the biggest obstacle at the moment. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about equal play. And, and I think that these, that this just one core uh, change and shift, I think will help accelerate that and accelerate growth for, for women's football globally and also for other women's sport as well. But so before Mr. Mildred, are you, are you, bad time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, are you referring to Hannah Brown as when you yes. mentioned your partner? Yeah. yeah. So tell us that story because there's always an origin story of how founders meet yeah. up and th there's that spark and you actually have to make a really big decision as an entrepreneur yeah. to go for it. So tell us that story. Yeah. So I think I, I'm going to, I'm going to start off with my journey and then lead into that because I think sure. um, it's all pretty relevant. I think where we are now um, so just so everybody knows, I was a massive soccer player. I, I played in college at Princeton. I was with the U.S. under-21 national team alongside the likes of Megan Rapino and Carly Lloyd and Allie Krieger, who a lot of people know. Um, and, you know, my entire, I feel like my 
all my heart wanted to just play the game um, so much. Um, but the first iteration of the Women's Pro League when I graduated in 2005 um, folded. So I really had no opportunity to continue to progress and to pursue my aspirations of playing for the full women's national team. Um, and to continue to play the game at the professional level. I actually was one of the first few Americans to go abroad and play in Europe professionally in 2005. And if you think about 2005 and you think about the professional game in Europe, it, was, it wasn't there, right? It, it, wasn't, um, it wasn't where it needed to be. Conditions weren't great, pay was low. Um, I think when you get to a certain point where you're losing your health benefits, um, those types of things, it's very hard to sustain that lifestyle. Um, and so I, I, got, I actually got called and recruited to get into college coaching with a former youth club coach of mine, Kazbek Tambi, um, and became his assistant at Seton Hall. He knew I wanted to go back to playing when the next iteration of the Women's Pro League here domestically launched again. So it was kind of almost like a little bit of a transition. I could help him, I could help you know, coach and also stay fit and ready to, to continue to play. I think it was really hard to go back. You know, I always wanted to go back, but again, I think you start to get into this rhythm of a full-time salary and benefits and some sort of stability in your life. Um, and it was hard to go back you know, to do that, to, to take that risk. And it, it was a hard, I think, hard for me mentally as well, because you know, if, if people are passionate about something and you have that fire, especially as an athlete, it's like what you want to do. Um, so I stayed in college coaching for a little bit. You know, I knew that wasn't what I wanted to do in the long term um, and started to reach out to some Princeton alums uh, like the likes of Charlie Silatana, Relevant Sports Group, um, got connected with him in 20, I want to say 2013, I think, because I was with the company for a while. Started just off as in the summer, just helping them with the men's tournament. And then every summer, I kind of, my role evolved as a consultant, helped with grassroots marketing, um, you know, logistics on the men's side. And I kept kind of pitching this women's tournament. And I was so, I, I thought, you know, they could, they could, there was definitely this opportunity to really, you know, invest in the women's game. And then in 2018, they hired me full time. Um, and I helped launch and directed the women's ICC in 2018, 2019. And that was where I met Hannah Brown. Hannah is a longtime media executive. She is uh, worked for Sky Sports for, I think, 10 years, uh, was the C-level executive at Relevance as well as Fubo TV, and now um, similar title and role at Formula E. Um, so had the media experience, and I had kind of the the sporting and, and obviously the competition side and working with the biggest clubs, you know, I started to see, you know, I wanted to, I, I worked closely with Leo and I started to develop these relationships with these clubs that I worked with, with women's ICC. And I'd want to follow them, you know, during the year. I wanted to see Atletico play Barcelona um, in the Wanda in front of 60,000 fans. And I couldn't see that anywhere. Like I, I would sit there and Hannah and I ultimately became really great friends. We were, were roommates in New York City. Um, and I'd be like, Hannah, why can't I watch this? Like, we need to figure this out. Like, why is this so difficult? I couldn't watch Leon PSG. I couldn't watch any of Champions League. And I think at this day and age, I started to feel like, you know, with the, with the success of the 2019 Women's World Cup and over a billion people tuning in, um, you know, how could we fix this? Could we create a business that kind of accelerates growth, help to kind of raise the visibility and make it easily accessible um, to fans that want to tune in to see these games? Um, and that's kind of where we landed. And in November, December of 2019, just, just less than a year ago, um, you know, we started to, to come up and develop the idea. In January, we had a meeting with um, NBC, um, John Miller and Wendy Bass at NBC, and, they, and we were like, you know what, if we invest in these WSL rights, you know, I think there's an opportunity because you guys have Premier League, will you support us, 
you know, can we get something going here? And lo and behold, I think they were incredibly supportive and they were like, we're going to support you. Um, we're going to do this, this, and this. And it, and it was incredible, you know, and I think a lot of people ask, well, what challenges did you face? Did you face a lot of roadblocks? And what I will say is this is not a long time in the making. If you think about it, it's less than a year and probably, you know, from that first breakfast, I think that was kind of when we started going, um, you know, but everybody wants to support it and help in some way. They realize that this needs to happen, um, you know, but it's a challenge, I think, for every, all parties involved for a number of different reasons. And I think we help uh, facilitate it and make it easy um, for everybody involved. And I think we bring value to everybody that we're working with. Um, so that's, that's kind of where, where we, we started. And then we started to, to speak to some investors in the spring, maybe February, March, um, got connected with 777 Partners. They're based in Miami. Um, have a pretty big portfolio of companies and have started to invest in sports and entertainment um, and heavily involved in soccer. Um, and, you know, they, they took an interest in what we were doing. Um, and, you know, fast forward maybe six months, I, I guess. It's not that long. We've cut, it's been, a, it's been a, a bit of a whirlwind, but, you know, we launched the company. We signed, you know, we signed a, a deal with the FAWSL. Um, as well as NBC. We're working on a, uh, acquiring some additional leagues and rights as well, and we're excited about that. Um, and, and that's kind of where we are, and that's how I met Hannah and, and how, the, how the business kind of evolved and developed. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so, um, two questions. Um, yeah. well, first is an observation. One is, going into this year and as the year started, there were probably two or three properties, Tom, or two or three opportunities that everybody was talking about. Sports gambling was one. Um, mental health of athletes was another one. And the third was that this was gonna be the year of women's sports. This was going to be the breakthrough. A lot of it led when you look at what Budweiser did with the NWSL and some other properties that have come on board, but not just soccer and women's basketball um, and other sports people were talking about, especially going into an Olympic cycle when, when those type of properties were hotter than they are in a uh, in another period, um, and we get to March and everything kind of stops. And you talked about your business kind of coming along with some investment in March. Um, and and the other side of it is people have talked about this for years. Everyone has said women's sports. You know, women are the buyers. Young girls are coming up. Fastest growing demographic. People want to do stuff with kids. Soccer's fastest growing sport, put it up there with lacrosse and maybe rugby. Um, but yet you look back and everybody says it and nobody does it. Why is it different now in your opinion? And yeah. then take us through the last crazy four months say from March till now, because you did something which was pretty amazing, which is raise money in a pandemic <laughs> and launch a business with a big media property in the most crowded month of the year, NBC. Um, for a property that people would turn around and say, oh, okay, maybe this is a good idea now. Yeah, look, I think, I think people recognize what need to do. And, and you, you get a lot of people talking, but not, not a lot of people acting. Or yeah. I, I don't think it's for lack of wanting, but lack of knowing where to even begin or just start. Um, and I think, I think I go back to being an athlete and you have to get the basics right. So you need to get, as a player, I need to have my touch right, my passing technique right. And the rest comes to life, right? Because if you can't handle the ball first, you can't do anything else or execute in any other way. Um, and, and so I think, you know, just a basic thing that needs to happen and change is that the women's pro club game has to be accessible and it has to be visible. And, 
you know, it, without that fundamental change and shift, it, the rest can't flourish. So commercial sponsors can't get, get a good ROI on their investments, right? The, um, the broadcasters don't even have an idea as to what this could potentially generate in terms of audience and revenue for them. So maybe they're hesitant to take the risk. I'm not sure, you know, I don't want to speak for anybody, but again, you know, without this happening, um, you know, you can do all kinds of, you know, I was just on a call before you can do uh, some bespoke content with the players and find out what they want to eat for lunch or, or for dinner. But you know what? I was thinking about this so hard. I was like, if Messi, if I just stumbled upon a piece of content from Messi and I had no idea he played for Barcelona, I didn't even know who he was, do, would I care? Not really, I don't think. But what makes those things special is that they know what Messi does on the field. Everyone's a massive fan of his because he is arguably the best player in the world. I'm, I would say he was, you know, but that's what makes it interesting. So you can't, you can't put that stuff out without first growing the fans and have People, you know, watch these athletes day in, day out and, and see them compete and see the quality that's on the field. And there's some phenomenal quality. And I think, you know, it's, it's so much better than it was five years ago. You see some of these massive clubs like a Barcelona, you know, investing now in the women's Real Madrid just launched, Man, Man United just launched a women's team. And at the grassroots level, um, you know, when I was at Relevant, we also worked, worked in ICC Futures, which was bring the best you know, youth kids, you know, clubs in the world to compete against each other from the US and, and, and Europe. And it was unbelievable in December, we had the Barcelona girls U15 team and a vast majority of the girls were 13 years old. And I kid you not, they played exactly like the men's team. Everybody from boys coaches to girls coaches were like floored to see this. And I think, um, you know, the quality because investments happening is only gonna continue to rise. And I think that's the exciting piece. Um, but I, again, you can't, um, you, can't ex you can't be here without at first, first getting the basics right. And I think for us, we just identify that. And, and it's not easy dealing, you know, scrambling. You know, a, a lot of, you know, of these leagues are in their infancy. Um, you know, they're managed a lot by their, their um, uh, uh, domestic associations. So, that, you know, the FAWSL is not owned by the Premier League and such like that. So there is, there is the intricacies and challenges and, and different bits in that. So it's not, it's not by any means a straightforward process. So I think in the last probably four months, it's been, it's been a lot of back and forth and we were a new venture. We hadn't even launched yet. We literally just launched. So we're getting these leagues to trust us, right? And say, we're gonna do this for you. We're gonna put you center stage. We have this lined up for you for, in terms of distribution. Um, you know, and, and that, you know, I was so grateful that they, they took that leap of faith, um, you know, but we had to, we had to convince, we had to show them, we had to talk to them about our background, our plans. Um, and, and so it, it's, it's not been easy, but it's been such a fun journey and fun process. I, I really can't say anything else about it. Esmeralda, I was smiling as you were answering the question, because it really, the way you described, well, the way you answered and the way, the, the way you talked about it, call to mind some of the phrases we use in the class, which hopefully you remember. Uh, the old the content, is, content is king, but distribution is queen, and she wears the pants, which is the, the latest twist on yeah. you know, distribution is queen. And, and I, oh, I, I still use that as part of the construct of when we were talking about content. Um, but Joe, we've talked about this many times as one of the big issues with with great content in media history is that it was just simply not accessible. 
to people. Yeah. There was no distribution. And that has changed dramatically. It was funny, as the NFL season was about to start this week, I just went, I was clicking around NFL.com just to see how they're presenting their stuff. And they had a, they had a, um, a call to action, like how to watch. And I clicked on that page. This is the kind of stuff I do. And I, <laughs> and I saw all the logos of everything they're doing, all their different partners. And I was like, oh my God. So I took a screenshot and I was going to tweet all hell queen distribution because one reason why the big sports have been successful, generally speaking, in terms of their media successes has been, they've really found that right formula, the good formula for distribution. And it's yeah. a, and it's a strategic, it's, it's highly, highly strategic, way more strategic than it was in the old days. And then when you actually map that against demographics, both in America, North America, globally, it becomes this 3D chess game. So the fact that you've got Hannah involved, who's, I, I guess, kind of an expert on this. Knows how to play um, chess. That helps. Yeah. Well, yeah. You, you just, you know, you got, as you said, really great content. But now you just have to figure out how to deal with that distribution aspect, which has, has become one of the most fascinating parts of the business. So, yeah. so as a follow-up to that point is, are, are, how much are you being the aggressors right now to tell your story and pitch and close deals? And uh, now that you're, quote, public and officially launched, are you getting inbounds? Like, hey, you got great content. We want some of it. What do well, we need to do? And also along that line, not just great inbounds, and this is where I think Hannah probably plays into it, cutting out the BS people who are a waste of your time, who I'm right. sure- Who are the BS people, <laughs> Joe? We're not going to go into people we know, Tom, but there's probably some of them. Um, and figuring out kind of what the right path is. I think that's important too. Yeah, I think-, I think uh... We're figuring that out. I think as part of what we're building as well and, and bringing this visibility and these premium partnerships with premium broadcasters, um, we're building on the back of this, like an Arata football brand um, and our platform, which again, serves another purpose. So, um, you know, as you guys know, the media landscape is incredibly fragmented. You've got this person streaming this, this person, and it's hard, right? It's hard for fans and people and consumers to get a grasp on it. Um, you know, as part of our initiative, you know, we are building a community platform, digital platform called Atta Football, um, that will house all of our matches live and on demand if, you know, and this will be marketed largely to young girls and fans of the game, but we'll have highlights and clips from the best, you know, leagues in the world. We'll have um, podcasts, different co pieces of content, um, specific club stuff player engagement opportunities, uh, digital skills. It will be almost like a one-stop shop for all, all things women's football and for young girls around the globe that are involved in the game. Um, you know, they, they can find some value in it and a, a very easy way to kind of navigate the women's football content landscape. Um, and, you know, if they want to practice, you know, a, a free kick or they want to do X, Y, Z, you know, they could easily, you know, go onto the platform and, and see if they can find some of the best players in the world doing that. That's in the works. Um, we've not necessarily officially launched that yet and it'll kind of be our focus moving forward. Um, but that's another kind of way that we're kind of tackling this, this content um, and distribution uh, as well. So, so I'm, gonna, I'm gonna raise, I won't call this a fatal flaw. I will call this a thing to think about. Yeah. At the beginning of this, you talked about when young clubs from Europe would come over, 
and the, the boys and the men would come over and be amazed at how good they are. I'm going to assume, hopefully, that when you say, you, you know, you, you're trying to get girls to watch this, that if you're going to reach a consumer audience, you have to get boys and men to watch it as well and realize how important it is. Because just my opinion, and Tom, you can chime in here as well. One of the biggest failures that we've seen with people who are trying to market sports that happen to be played by girls and women versus women's sports yeah. is that they're speaking to the same people over and over again. When in reality, if you are inclusive in everybody, it makes the pie bigger and it makes people feel okay that to, for, for some risk averse or siloed male thinkers, they think if it is a woman playing a sport, it's not worth my time to watch. And it's not true anymore. Um, but I think getting them so that the boys are watching with their sisters and the fathers are watching with the, the daughters is going to be so important for you guys to sell this because that's the real market going forward. In, in addition to just servicing, you know, the girls and the women and the moms and the aunts. Just my opinion. Joe, I would say no, this, no, no. This yeah. State, yeah. This, let me just, uh, yeah. uh, just before you answer, sure, I just sure, want to sure. make a point. Um, as a uh, as a uh, soccer fan myself, um, anybody who's been paying attention to the U.S. The last few years knows right. that um, the quality doing okay. <laughs> right, the, doing the quality okay. of the U.S. women's uh, national team versus U.S. men's national team is has been strikingly different. And I'm not saying this because we're talking to Esmeralda and talking about her in business, but. If you gave me and most people I know the choice of watching the U.S. women's game right now or U.S. men's game, even if it's friendly, I'll take the women's team. The players are higher profile. I think they're obviously more successful, just statistically speaking. Yeah. And I, I don't know, Joe, if that really would apply. I think historically your thought was, was more of an issue. But I, I think, as I said, the stage is set, Esmeralda, for you guys to kind of overcome that once and for all, in my opinion. All right. Yeah, so I, it's fun. Before, yeah. Let me just make yeah. one comment about okay. that. <laughs> you so, can just let me and I Joe think, debate I this for a while. I'm lined up for when I can get in here. <laughs> I think, I, very I'm competitive. Not, I'm not going to say anything. To <laughs> I'm just joking. But I think that that is, yeah. it's moving, but it's still not moving. And I'll give you the anecdotal answer is our esteemed president, and I say that with quotes because he is the president of the United States, gathered leaders of sport in March or April to come and like get on a phone call. And, and um, I forget who put it together. It was, um, um, it doesn't matter. Oh, it's the one with all the commissioners. Yeah, commissioners. The, the NWSL was left yeah. out. Is that right, so, so, yeah. so Lisa Baird had to fight her way to get on there. And that I still think when, when you look at, and, and I will actually, I'll, I'll say that John <laughs> Miller is an outlier. John Miller has always looked at NBC for properties that are different. David Levy did the same thing at Turner. Um, and willing to take a chance. But for the demo of decision makers, still old, whiter, older, whiter, and male, who are risk averse, especially in this economy, they're still going to say, you know, maybe I'm not going to look at soccer, but I'm going to go look at a men's sport, maybe the PLL first, because I think that's kind of interesting versus trying to, I, I think you have great opportunity, but I think making uh, men who are not soccer fans, or, uh, but are in this business, feel it's okay and do it 
you know, is important because you got to, you know, there's, there's still controlling a lot of the purse strings. I think you can. Well, Joe, I, I'm sorry. I'm one more, one more counter to Joe. It's okay. They're controlling the purse strings, but Joe, they're controlling, and this is an important point. They're controlling the purse strings in traditional environments, traditional media environments, the big networks and stuff. They're not controlling the purse strings, so to speak, in the newer digital distribution environments, I would say. And that, in, in fact, in certain ways, and, and I, want to, I want to get into this with Esmeralda, when you think about like the National Women's Hockey League having done a deal with Twitch for distribution. I mean, there's a lot of examples that have now been tried. Doesn't necessarily guarantee success, but there are ways to yes. both work with the, let's call them the, the traditional media companies that to Joe's point probably would be more conservative and, and more, um, shall we say, um, I don't know, skeptical on maybe on some of this, uh, but God knows there's plenty of ways now, if you're good and creative, it can work it well, to yeah. go beyond that traditional market, especially Joe, again, a theme in my class. And when you think about younger people, yeah. and, and I'm sure this is very aspirational, all the younger people. Uh, anyway, I, now, I a, now you have the microphone. <laughs> all right. So I'm going to come back on everything. So I think, <laughs> I think, um, you know, for if you look at actually the stats of, of who actually watches women's sport, it's actually predominantly male. It's over 50% male. So I think you're already engaging a male audience there. Um, I think you're lucky with these FAWSL clubs and that, you know, a, a Man United fan is a Man United fan. So if you see the women's mm -hmm. team and you see it on the same platform that the men's, that they're going to ultimately naturally want to watch, especially non-Premier League weekends. Um, you know, which we're strategically working with um, NBC on. Um, I think for our platform, we will use our, our rights in the moment and, and as we have them for two and three years uh, to build our platform. But we know that young girls are not the ones that's in front of a TV. Actually, it's a male audience, like you said. Um, and so this platform is much more than just watch live and, and on-demand matches. It's actually providing engagement and a community opportunity. Um, that I alluded to. So our platform is actually going to be a lot more than just that and it, it will evolve and we hope that with time we are not we're not trying to play a game with NBC and ESPN where we're outbidding them for live rights because we want to have this platform. Um, no, I think the platform is so much bigger and better than that um, and you know our hope is that you know in two or three years time that these broadcasters now start to invest in this um, and, it's, and it's always on premium distribution um, you know, and easily accessible. And I think, yeah, you could, you could put this stuff on digital. I, I, you know, but, but again, it's hard. It's hard to, you know, sift through that whole world. And when, when fans are just people, casual people that are looking for sports, find it really hard to access, they just turn off and they, they switch, switch off. And I think also the whole Lisa Bear thing, I think, you know, people forget that NWSL is, it's in its infancy. Yes, it's, it's seven or eight years down the road, but it's not had a consistent broadcast partner. Mm -hmm. It was on Lifetime TV for a while, which to me isn't really probably the right platform for a, a premium sport, right? I, I think that there, and again, you're probably trying to market to a female audience, which as we just discussed, actually women's sport, actually men watch it. If you look at the statistics, it's more than 50% uh, on the male side. So you're not we're, we're not trying to change, um, you know, those habits or anything of that nature. And um, our platform will be marketed to young girls and fans of the game, whether they're boys or girls, it doesn't really matter. But um, I think we're, it's, it's not going to be about live sport per se in the long run.
Right, and Joe, think, think about another subject we've covered, and I'd love to get Esmeralda's opinion on this, is that when NBC, I can't remember the year, when did, when did they bring EPL to NBC Sports Network? Was it like 2011 or so? I was going to say uh, at least. I mean, yeah, and they created a whole new sports media experience in America, which yep. was the day part of weekend mornings. Yep. Soccer oh, yeah. like, oh my God, this is paradise. I can wake up, make a cup of coffee and watch amazing soccer actually yeah. on my TV. No hassle, no fuss. Yeah. No fuss. Um, and that was a, that was a big thing. And then, Which, and by the way, that was born out of poker after dark. That's where it started, where John Miller came up with the idea of putting poker on and it evolved into soccer because it was a great opportunity. Right. And then, I don't know, five years later or something like that, six years later, then Bundesliga came to Fox, and that was the first time Bundesliga was easily accessible for American TV viewers. And interestingly, if you recall, because that was when, Joe, we started working with Bayern Munich yeah. at Columbia, uh, I know one of their complaints was that the quality of production was just not as high as it was for EPL and NBC. So, so that's just a thing. And then what we've seen happen the last few years has been, to me, uh, a little troubling. To, to and kind of threading this needle of reach and revenue. You've seen moves made, deals made, where certain of these leagues, including some of the European leagues, have seemingly chosen revenue over reach. So think about it. Yeah. They come here to it's build big, their fan base. Yeah. Right, and, I, and I, I'll just finish yeah. my thought and you can respond. Yeah. They, they, you know, Joe, we've seen the pitches from La Liga, from Bundesliga, et cetera, about building their fan base in North Very America. Odd. Same thing and as they're, and they're, and they're, Right, it's very odd. And they're building fan clubs and they're doing marketing promotions and they're you know, generating sponsorships and all that. That's all fine and good. When they choose to put their stuff behind uh, a gate, uh, a toll booth, ESPN Plus, The Zone, uh, Bleach Report, in, whatever. In sport. You know, right, being sport. Um, being sports a good example. Like I ask my students every semester when we start talking about streaming and distribution. So like, okay, does anybody know how to watch a La Liga game in America right now? And I'll probably ask this in two weeks from now. Yeah. And usually maybe one person, usually someone from Spain <laughs> would know, no, know the answer. answer. Yeah. And I'll say, oh, being sport. And then I'll say to everybody else, how many of you have ever heard of being sport? And usually the answer is zero. So yeah. I say that's a huge disconnect. Yeah between the strategy and the execution on this very uh, fundamental issue to Esmeralda's point earlier about accessibility and with distribution. I would, I would add to just to that as well, like, you know, we were dealing, I think what happens a lot um, is that everybody's looking for that quick buck, you know, the revenue because they have to meet certain parameters and, and it's understandable, it's a business, right? Everybody mm -hmm. understands why. Um, but I think what was happening with women's soccer is that maybe you had these niche kind of outlets building these OTT platforms and, you know, with just women's football, you have a couple of them and, or, you know, the NWSL doing a deal with Twitch globally and Amazon with Amazon. But again, it's what, how are people, are people going to sift through Twitch to try to find the NWSL globally? I, I don't know, but again, these, like you said, behind a paywall or being on these like non-premium and, not easily accessible platforms it hurts it hurts longevity and the and the success and and path to growth and like you said with the premier league it's done so well because um 
everybody knows where to watch it. And it's the same argument with NWSN. And when to watch when it. When right. to watch mm -hmm. it. They know exactly right. where it's easy. They get their coffee. They sit in front of NBCSN. And they're so incredibly excited. If they had to go through like some sort of maze to find <laughs> it, I don't know if those numbers would be good anyway either. Like right. I think people forget like La Liga. I think it's probably a big revenue play to, to be on BN. But then you know what? The, P the English Premier League is now – a lot more popular, right, as a league um, across 100%. the board from top yeah. team to bottom. And I think that that was a big thing that we saw as well. And a problem we were trying to solve was, you know, let's get them behind these kind of niche outlets. Um, and I'm sure there's there's a play for that too as well down the road for them. But you, you can't grow fans that way. But Joe, yeah, and everybody that, everybody right. argues, oh, women, women's soccer, like, you know, fan, there's no fan, they don't watch it. They're used to watching it on digital. No, I don't think so. They've never had an opportunity to watch it on premium. So how could you actually say that? Like, I, right. I think and it's like, to that point, it's to, it, to it, say that, yeah. Right, this, this, isn't, this isn't like super high level marketing strategy. It goes to the, a very fundamental point about media in general, which is, you always think about the addressable market of viewers for whatever you're putting out there. And the, the uh, TV household market in the U.S. is somewhere around 118 or 19 million. It's actually uh, being diminished every year because of cord cutting yeah. and things like that. But that is the addressable market for paid television. When you get down to certain cable channels, such as NBC Sports Network, it's obviously a subset of that, depending on the carriage deals and things like that. But that becomes literally your address mark. How many people could theoretically watch what I'm going to put on there? Stern like that. When you put it behind, and let's just pick on Bundesliga for a second, because Joe, correct me if I'm wrong, or Esmeralda will correct me if I'm wrong. But right now, the only way to watch it in the U.S. is through, through ESPN Plus, I believe. Yeah. Now, yeah, exactly. if we've been all paying attention to the growth of these OTT services, They've grown to a point where I think it's been reported, part, I, I would say largely because of the success of Disney Plus, which adds on ESPN Plus to subscribers very cheaply, that that, quote, addressable market is still under 10 million for the ESPN Plus market. So think about that. You're going from, okay, regular TV close to 120, then maybe cable 80 or 90, I don't know, 75, 80, down yeah. to, uh, for argument's sake, 10. And... Yeah. So, so then ESPN uses it and says, we have Bundesliga, please subscribe. So they get their benefit out of it. But if you're a Bundesliga in Germany looking to build your fan base in America, again, please tell me if I'm wrong, but that doesn't seem to make sense for the long term to me. And, and it depends on, on how they view it. And, and so I'll give you two, two examples of that. One is last when was when was uh, nwsl on cbs uh two saturdays ago or i think it was two saturdays no, I it was last time. you mean the, the was, tournament the Saturday. tournament no no no. they were live live on cbs network so that was last i think it was last i so, think it was last week was the opening weekend and i think they were on cbs the yeah. first weekend and, and the reason why yeah. it was interesting to me was and this is as i said we're talking today on friday september 11th um I had to go to a Best Buy to pick something up and I had my mask on and walked in and Best Buy has the traditional wall of televisions and they all had women's soccer on. Wow. And the reason why they had it on was because they had, didn't have cable. So they just threw on what was on. Yes. Yeah. I so mean, the, I, the I NWSL got almost like over half a million people mm -hmm. tuning in for the final in July on CBS free to air. Mm -hmm. Like, 
again, it just goes to the argument that when it's put there, people will watch they're excited i'm like it's the women's world cup is easy because fox takes it and they do massive promotion they cover it it's all over the place um it's there you know i just i just think it's just a fundamental shift and just a little change that needs to happen and you know that women's sport has the opportunity but when it's always put to the side when it's behind a paywall where it's like a maze to try to find it it does, it's not going to flourish and it's going it, to, it's not going to, it's not going to grow in the way that I think it has the opportunity to grow. And when, when revenue comes into the picture and, and, you know, I think some of the conversations time we've had over the years with La Liga, especially where they look at it and say, well, you know, we're doing a deal with BN or with 11 because of the massive dollars they're giving us and the massive exposure they give us outside of the United States. But that's counterintuitive because if you don't carve out your U.S. rights and you just give it to them, you know, whenever it was, because they're your really good partner and your friend elsewhere, that that doesn't speak to growing your business in the place where you want to grow it, which is the United States or North America. And, so. Right. In a place where you want to grow it in a market that has never been more competitive in terms of in, in the attention economy. Right. So if you think about getting teenagers to like your sport, whether you're Major League Baseball or, or National Men's Soccer League or Bundesliga, good luck these days when you have teenagers spending countless hours in environments like Fortnite and Twitch and TikTok and Roblox, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This is, Joe, I know I'm a broken record, but to me, the long-term strategists who are thinking about their, the, the growth of their brands globally, particularly in the U.S. market, have to come to terms with that fact. It's not, as you've heard me say this before, it's not like they're going to wake up one day when they're 25 or 30 and say, you know what, I'm just going to start watching Major League Baseball. Three yeah. hours to watch a game that's one nothing. Like, that sounds exciting. Yeah. No, it's, <laughs> it's just not going to happen. And more and more people are starting, I think, to realize that the NBA, as we've noted before in this podcast and certainly in our conversations, Joe, has been really the only, in my opinion, the only truly honest broker on this topic. Like we need to evolve the game. We should think about different season, seasonal constraints. We should think about the length of the quarters. We should think about the nature of timeouts. I mean, just basically thinking about the evolution of the product, but most importantly, I just go back to the distribution that if, to Esmeralda's point, when you think about something like being on Twitch, yeah, could you put it on Twitch and maybe it'll have some success? Theoretically, yes, but without the, the contextual marketing strategy around that particular yeah. de decision, it doesn't necessarily help. I'll use one example, Esmeralda, that you might appreciate that Joe and I mentioned last, or I mentioned to Joe last week in our, our last podcast. So I'm a big uh, fan, as Joe is, checking out the social networks to see the relative standing of these different leagues. So I was on YouTube, and I like to check YouTube's subscription counts. There's a, there's a, uh, a sport that I was introduced to about, I don't know, eight months ago called World Chase Tag. It's literal like, competitive tag. <laughs> like two people on this parkour-like platform, and there's an evader, and there's a chaser. And I'm like, wow, I never saw this before. But you start watching it, it's kind of compelling to watch their 20-second videos. So I, and I look up at their subscriber count. It's close to 800,000 subscribers on YouTube. I'm like, oh, my God. So just for, by, for, for the sake of comparison, I go to Major League Soccer. I don't know if you happen to know this. 
couple hundred thousand less than World Chase Tag. Um, NASCAR, a couple hundred thousand less than World Chase Tag, et cetera. And you start thinking about that. And again, I'm not putting, I don't want to put too much stock in that. But you look at these kind of in indicators, you're like, okay, well, something's going on here with content and the way it's been <laughs> distributed. So I, I truly believe that if, um, back to your point, if you can crack that code with your strategy and, and with the deals you're doing, I do believe it's, it's actually a good time to try it. But it's going to take a lot of really smart thinking and strategy. Um, Esmeralda, how are you thinking about growing the business in terms of the the non-core assets of the platform and the actual streaming and stuff like that, like your marketing and your sponsorships and things like that. Like, tell us about that for a minute. Yeah, you know, I think, you know, we are in talks now with some pretty big brands, um, as you can probably imagine, that have aligned themselves with women's football or women's soccer. Um, so that, that will be a big, you know, the core of our business. Um, you know, we've had some conversations with other brands about um, kind of building different verticals to the business, um, which, you know, could expand our brand as well outside of just, you know, our, our platform and these rights deals. Um, another another um, uh, piece of content that, that we're actually looking to produce and to start to get out there is a, a women's weekly show uh, featuring, you know, the, some of the best women's clubs in the world all in one. Um, which would be, you know, we've lined up some really great distribution partners, including some free-to-air in various uh, big markets in Europe. So, you know, we, we are working on a number of different things. Obviously, the sponsorship piece will be big for us, um, and we are in talks at the moment. And, um, you know, I think as, like any new venture in any new business, I think sometimes you start off thinking it's going to go this way, and a lot of times it evolves into something else over time. Um, so I think only time will tell, but, you know, just from our initial our launch, you know, that, you know, I, I think there's many, many opportunities to expand up upon on this business. Um, in terms of marketing, uh, we are strategically partnering with some big digital publishers so that we can ensure that we share clips and highlights. I think just mark basic marketing coverage is yet another um, challenge, I think, that, that, you know, probably a lot of niche sports have, have experienced in women's soccer uh, specifically. Um, and then we are, you know, engaging, you know, very much so into the grassroots market, um, especially we'll start here in the US, um, you know, with doing various features of up and coming rising stars, uh, grassroots clubs and leagues and, and all that stuff. You know, I have a lot of great relationships with them for my college coaching days, my playing days, women's ICC. We did a lot of partnerships, strategic partnerships there as well to promote the matches um, and engagement, you know, obviously on our platform. So, you know, we have, we have, it is, it'll be a long journey and we have a lot of work ahead. You know, it, it won't be easy. We know that, um, you know, this is not an easy kind of, you know, challenge to solve right off the bat. And, and, but we're excited. We're excited to have that creative freedom and to have the opportunity uh, and the belief in so many people to, to, to try it out and see what we can build. And uh, yeah, we, we'll see. I'm excited, but yeah, it's, it's not, it's not going to be easy. I know that it's not, you know, this is a big undertaking. Um, it was funny when we would talk to people about it, they're like, you're doing what you did this, what, you know, all in like five months or so we kind of put this all together. Um, you know, so I, I think Hannah and I are, are great friends. We have similar work ethic. You know, we are, you know, type A perfectionists, um, 
So, you know, we don't shy away from a challenge or hard work or, you know, solving a problem, so to speak. So um, I, I think we've, we, we couldn't be more excited and, and, uh, for, for, for this venture and to see what happens moving forward. So two questions. Sure. Um, one is one of our favorite, which is the fundraising issue. Um, how much of a runway do you guys feel you have before you have to go out and get more money? Uh, how hard was that to raise the money to get to this point? The second question, uh, which is one we don't really talk a lot about on this show, but it always comes up, is the largest growing demo in North America is the Latino fan. Um, and how, and it's also the, the most overlooked fan base in the United States for traditional sports, other than maybe baseball. Um, how do you, how will you address, especially young Latino males and females who could really love this con uh, this content won't be able to find it. So the money side and then the Latino side. Uh, yeah, so like I said, we started talking to 777 partners in the spring. So, um, you know, they realized and recognized the opportunity. They're invested in a number of different um, companies and called, including Fanatis, um, an OTT streaming platform that, that is actually marketed at to a Hispanic, largely Hispanic audience. Um, so I think there's a lot of synergies and a lot of ways that we, you know, when, when they set this up kind of for us to strategically work together um, to probably target that market um, and for them to access us. Um, and from a, from a investing standpoint, you know, you know, we, we secured, you know, our first tranche of money and um, they, 777 is actually a, it was more of like a private equity group um, so if we actually need additional funds, they are our first go-to, which I think is super helpful. Um, you know, we don't have to worry about necessarily <laughs> trying to raise money, uh, you know, every round. So I think that's a really amazing part about being part of their portfolio. They have been incredible. Um, and, and they, they actually extend resources, shared services. So as part of any sort of company that comes under their umbrella, they have in place a marketing team, HR. And so it, it alleviates the stress on, I think, entrepreneurs and new ventures, uh, which is incredible. I think, you know, they're an incredible partner of ours. And, uh, you know, I, I think for us, it, it was, it's, it's actually a great setup. And then the Latino side, um, how important is that? And how, how do you plan to address it? Yeah, I mean, I think we, because of 777's portfolio of companies, they, they're largely um, invested in uh, Latin America and South America. Um, they have a couple of different companies, uh, GSRM and Nunchi, who's actually doing the, um, the technology for our platform, and they'll be building that out in the coming months um, through the Fanatis platform as well. Um, so we'll be working with a lot of our portfolio companies to strategically um, reach that market. Um, but I think that's also another benefit um, to being within their, their portfolio of companies. I think that naturally we have that, that kind of ability to start to address and, and try to reach that market. Great. Wow. So how many employees do you have right now? Um, so we have, you know, we only have a handful of employees per se. You know, like I said, we have as part of, being part of 777 we have we have access to a legal team accounting um hr marketing we have our platform um we have a we have a dedicated pr and comms um person mm -hmm. myself and hannah uh we have some commercial sponsorship people kind of working on that piece of thing so um well i guess you know the the group i guess the core group under atlanta is small we have 
of access to all the resources that we need at the moment. So nice. Would, yeah. Do you think you'll be doing any hiring anytime soon? Um, I mean, I'm sure we could probably use some hands. <laughs> um, okay. You know, yeah, I think we, I'm sure we'll, we'll be um, looking to hire in the coming months. But, um, you know, at the moment, I think we're really well supported um, internally with 777 and the, the people that nice. we have at the moment. So good. All right, Joe, you want to uh, wrap us up? Move into the final phase. I'll ask the first question, Esmeralda. I think you might know. I think you might have listened to one of these Columbia podcasts, but. Um, <laughs> You know, I'm kind of obsessed with uh, the idea of um, keeping up with keeping up with uh, developments in the industry and thought leadership and things like that. What What are you following? What are you reading? What are you listening to to stay to stay smart these days? Oh, that's a good question. Um, to be fair, I've been like tunnel vision on our on our ventures, so I can't say I have a lot of extra time. I literally work from 7 a.m. till maybe one in the morning. Um, so, you know, working super hard in the venture, I'm not sure I have a lot, but obviously keep up with, you know, the, the, the significant outlets like, you know, sports pro media, um, uh, the, you know, any sort of media outlet that, that covers sports, I'm, I'm across, whether that's me scrolling LinkedIn or whatnot. So, um, I, I feel bad. I can't really give you anything because I've right. been so. I like, mean, actually, I've been working like around the clock. I'm sorry. Understood. Are there are there any? And, and Joe can answer this too. Are there any of the sports business uh, outlets that, at least superficially, seem to be more sympathetic to and supportive of women's sports? Um. I've actually silenced Joe Favrito. That's a first. In terms of media, you mean? You like people? Yeah, just like, you know, that's willingness to cover, willingness to kind of be yes. more. Um, actually, The Athletic is one. Vice okay. The Athletic is, has dedicated a good number of people just to covering bigger issues, but women's sports. Um, then I think you have to find the right media people who are interested. And I think that there's a, a growing number of them, um, especially if they're big stories. The biggest question is not the writers, it's the editors who are looking towards clicks and will look at it and say, oh, you want to do a story on Megan Rapinoe? Great. You want to do one on, you know, uh, the NWHL? Not really. You know, that's not going to get us clicks. That doesn't help us with our advertisers. So um, you have to find people that are sympathetic to it. Um, you know, Shira Springer is another person who comes to mind. Tara Sullivan at the Boston Globe. I'm trying to think of guys who will write about it. Wayne Coffey. Um, um, there's certainly some, but, um, you know, I, I think, you know, and Tom, we've had some of those people on who've tried to launch women's sports specific platforms, launch them to great fanfare, and then they fade away because the business plan isn't good. So, right. um, I think that the market is there. Um, it's accessible. Uh, you have to grow it yourself. You have to have a big social following and, and develop that social following. And sometimes I think people look at it and say, oh, we're going to do this. Look at all the numbers, but we don't have the, the dollars behind us to get it done. And it, it kind of flounders. And we've seen that happen numerous times. Hey, Esmeralda, are you familiar with an organization called Women in Sports Tech, W-I-S-T? I think so. Um, we'll make you more familiar. Yeah, they sound yeah, familiar. It just, yeah, it's coincidentally our last podcast was with a guy named Amir Zanozi, okay. who runs a company called Zoomf. Um, and he's also recently appointed to the board of women in sports tech. Joe and I happen to know a little bit about that organization, but it just occurred to me uh, as we were starting to wrap up that you might want to reach out and see if uh, they can be helpful to you. 
and vice versa. Yeah, no, that would be great. That would be cool. great. One for you, Stephen. <laughs> and the last question, obviously, um, is the other side for you to provide the advice. So especially given you where you are at this point in time of your business and what you've just gone through, uh, you touched on a couple of the points, but even going back through your playing days at Princeton and you know, obviously the frustrations that you went through when there was no women's league to play in and which is what you wanted to do. Um, what's the advice you give to groups, not just students, and we have a lot of students and alumni who listen, but also to people now going through a career change because of the times we're in. Is there uh, advice that's been given to you or things that you pass on that, that you think are really valuable? Yeah, I think I think for so long I, I felt lost and I because all I wanted to do was play. And then I felt disappointed that that wasn't an option. Um, college coaching didn't seem to do it for me. Um, and I don't, you know, I, I loved do, launching women's ICC and I think I started to get my like creative juices flowing there. Um, but I, I think it was hard for me, but what I will say is I look back now and I, I think you need to trust the journey, like everything in your life, and, and this is not me specific. I believe this. Everything in your life is happening for a reason. It, it's part of your journey. And I, I look back now on Atlanta, and I would never have been able to launch this without having my experience as a player, um, my experience abroad playing in Europe uh, in those types of conditions, um, my experience as a college coach and working collegiately and understanding the youth grassroots landscape. Because like you said, there's a lot of people that see the numbers, they look at the youth sports, they look at this, but if you have that understanding of the landscape and potentially how to engage that landscape, um, you know, I, I, I think trusting the process and everything that you're doing, and, and even if you're in a challenging time and you feel like, what am I doing? I'm lost. This doesn't feel right. I have no job. And you start to get anxious or worried. I think there's like, there's power in coming to peace with that and kind of relinquishing a little control and trusting that the process will work itself out. Um, you know, I think that was a hard one for me, but now it's, it's funny. It's like, you have these, moments where like, wow, if I hadn't done, if I hadn't had every experience that I've had since I graduated college or even college in my life playing the game, like I wouldn't be launching this company, um, you know, and Hannah and I came together and became really good friends all of a sudden. And I think our like set of expertise complement each other um, in a way that I don't think there's a lot of, you know, teams and partners that have that ability. Um, and so, you know, I, I think, I think that would be my, my, my advice to everybody is just trust, try to calm down, stay with it. And um, even if in moments where you feel like nothing's working out, I, I think it's always working out. Um, so not to get too deep on that, but I, I, oh, I, I feel like that was like my, that's been my experience. And I, and I, I truly believe that. Cool. Tommy, you want to wrap us up? Yeah. So Esmeralda, Negron, thank you so much mm -hmm. uh, for spending time with us. Um, we, uh, we should let everybody know where they can follow you and find you. So if there's, um, if there are some handles or sites and stuff you want to give, uh, go for it. Yeah, I mean, you, I'm, I'm not the best on social, but um, you can follow me on Twitter at as underscore Negron. Um, and then on LinkedIn as well, you can, you can look me up and, and um, follow me there. And then obviously our Atta football handles, if you want to, or you, if you're interested in, you know, the latest news um, and the uh, FAWSL schedule and where to watch, um, you know, you can follow us on social across Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, 
And you can visit atafootball.com um, and there you can kind of access our streaming platform. We are live this weekend on Saturday, um, the Arsenal match at 12.10 p.m. kickoff on uh, Eastern time. It's the first match that'll be live on atafootball.com. So we're excited. So I think that's, that, that's good for everybody. <laughs> oh my God, that's amazing. So uh, look, congratulations. You've, you've, uh, You've done you've done something really special that most people don't ever get to do, which is launch a new business um, <laughs> in a pandemic. A, well, in a pandemic, and I know, I know. Uh, and do it at least so far successfully with a, what appears to be a great attitude and great optimism. Uh, it feels to me like the time has come, uh, just despite some of the uh, the past missteps in this area for for pro sports or just sports in general. But yeah. um, I really hope it works out, and I really hope you guys succeed. Um, it'll be good for everybody. So oh, we'll thanks so much. Thanks I appreciate yeah. that. I just got news, too. Alex Morgan's going to Tottenham, so um, what? which is exciting. Wow, yeah, I just did that just break? It popped up, yeah, on Bleacher Report. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, wow. So exciting uh, for U.S. fans. You can, uh, you can watch five U.S. women's national team players um, on the FAWSL and NBC and Auto Football. Oh, Com. So right. easy access. That's a good way to end the show. Yeah, I know. I just saw it come through. Hopefully that wasn't like, you know, if we keep talking for a few more minutes, maybe there'll be some something, something <laughs> another big thing coming through. Yeah, no, it's it's fun. It's exciting. I think that's All really right. cool too. All right. But thank you for well, having me. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, it was a pleasure. And and thanks everybody for listening. Thanks to our producer Tom Cerny, as always, doing a great job behind the microphone, so to speak. Joe, always a pleasure. Thank you. We talk, I think we talked more on this one than we ever have combined. <laughs> we got we to remember to listen to your grandfather and, and shut up more. Uh, <laughs> well, look, we'll, we'll, keep get, we'll try to keep getting better. But uh, Esmeralda, thank you so much for spending time with us. We wish you well. And when we Thanks. are out of the lockdown, please come. You, you would be a great inspiration for the people at the Columbia program and beyond. Sure. And it'd be good, be good for you to make a presentation on your business when, oh, when you're a hundred million dollar company two years from now. <laughs> I would love to do it. You just let me know. I'll come whenever, okay. when it's time. Thank you everybody. All right. Thanks guys. Okay. See bye. everybody in the next show. Take care.